You're listening to The Invisible Blog. Steve Shives is Nickelback. We need to talk about Steve Shives. Now, if you're reading this, there really are only three distinct possible reactions to hearing that sentence. One, you have no idea who Steve Shives is. Two, you know Steve's stuff and you know exactly what this blog is going to be about. Or three, you know who Steve is and you hate him and everything he represents. And surprisingly, especially for those first people, this third group makes up a tremendous amount of the online atheist movement because for online atheism, hating Steve Shives is... Like hating Nickelback. I just gotta take a second. Milo Yiannopoulos, Richard Spencer, and now Nickelback. This blog has had me defending some very weird people, but here we go. You don't actually hate Nickelback. Okay, maybe you do hate Nickelback, but when someone says, I hate Nickelback, what they mean is they hate the way 90s music commercialized rock country grunge. They hate how the boy band model and the cult of personality took over music, how nobody unattractive seems to have picked up a guitar since 1992. They hate low-income pandering by multimillionaires who don't write their own songs. In fact, the only thing they don't mean when someone says, I hate Nickelback, is I have listened to Nickelback's music and I don't like it. And along the same lines, when in internet atheism someone says they hate Steve Shives, they mean they hate the perceived corruption of the atheist movement. They stand for free speech, men's rights, they hate social justice, they don't like being blocked on Twitter. The only thing they don't mean when they say I hate Steve Shives is I've heard what Steve has to say and I disagree. So. Before I get into this, let, let me catch up that first group. Steve Shives is an atheist YouTuber who gained popularity on his channel for his excellent An Atheist Reads series. Using his education in English lit, Steve broke down several popular books on Christian apologetics by people like William Lane Craig and Ray Comfort. He had a series called Five Stupid Things that broke down conspiracies and pseudoscience and was generally a higher quality version of the white guy talking into a webcam that made up early YouTube atheism and largely still makes it up today. And then everyone turned on him. If you YouTube Steve, you'll find dozens and dozens of takedown videos of him. He's been doxxed, threatened, mocked, ousted from the YouTube atheist community and remains a target of inconceivable harassment and ridicule today, but to understand why, one needs to examine the history of new atheism as it relates to the internet. See, in 2001, the world, the United States especially, got asked the world's easiest multiple choice question. As the Twin Towers fell, we were all asked, is this religion thing really worth it? And for the first time in popular public media, a lot of us answered, no. Not to insult the older, more vocal atheists in my audience, but atheism for my generation at least felt 
philosophical. Atheists were professors and authors, not movie stars and public figures. They were Bertrand Russell, not Bernie Sanders. And this sudden unity gave rise to a movement that really hadn't existed before. Otherwise, obscure figures and authors like Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, and Christopher Hitchens became best-selling authors overnight. The other things they thought and believed weren't really relevant at the time because the message they were sending was one the world needed to hear that religion had to go. And for about 10 years, that was all we needed. Religion and its defenders were the enemy. Its ideologues and proponents were the subject of our blogs, vlogs, and debates. But the problem with a question as easily answered as the question of God is that it quickly runs out of arguments, out of content. And if you want to sell books, get clicks, downloads, and stay relevant, especially on the internet, you need content. So the community shifted for two major reasons. The first is that a community that's largely young, white, male, and anonymous is going to have a lot of crossover with another young, white, male, and anonymous community. Assholes, specifically racist, misogynistic, bigoted assholes. And secondly, those other ideas that those leaders had that didn't matter because what they had to say about atheism was so right started to get noticed, and some of them were really wrong. And nowhere was this more obvious than on YouTube. Look, there will be a blog about the problems of the Four Horsemen, and when I write it, I'll write it carefully and thoroughly. But say what you will, the Horsemen had a barrier to entry. They're writers, debaters, well-spoken, intelligent. For YouTube, you just needed to be on YouTube. And so, slowly but surely, especially on the internet, the movement shifted. Channels that used to be about counter-apologetics started talking about Anita Sarkeesian exclusively. And now, if you look across the landscape of YouTube atheism, you'll be hard-pressed to find a current video about faith that isn't sandwiched between a dozen more about feminism or Black Lives Matter, except for Steve. See, at the breaking point of this divide, Elevator Gate, an event that's worth its own blog, honestly, while the community firmly chose the side of anti-feminism and its leadership, Steve and a few others who would go on to be targets and pariahs chose another direction. And again, what happened exactly and who it happened to is worth its own blog. I don't want to downplay that here. In fact, I suspect this blog is the seed for an eventual book, but Steve was the only YouTuber. And like Nickelback, it's what Steve represents rather than what he did or said that people grew to hate. So what does Steve represent? What do his critics criticize him for the most? For this, we need a bit more of the story of what happened to Steve and why. See, not all of the movement drifted to anti-feminism. The problem with brilliant authors like the Four Horsemen is that the movement grew exponentially, and as it grew, so did many of its leaders. 
Popular figures like David Silverman, Matt Dillahunty, Seth Andrews, who did and still do great work in atheism, recognized that the movement was becoming about humanism, was becoming larger than the God question, and with that, much to the horror of many, came intersectionality with social justice, and Steve represented that for YouTube. While other vloggers were talking about Gamergate, he talked about the abuse. While others made takedown videos, Steve talked about a new, younger community that was no longer concerned with the problems of our leadership. He had to go. So, I don't want to get into all the details here, but from the research I can do, and there is a lot to be done, it's a video about the men's rights movement that begins the harassment in earnest against Steve. But these videos are buried. Some of the channels that made them are abandoned or banned for abuse, but it was at this point that two other major atheist YouTubers, who I'm not going to name because they deserve their own blogs, started to attack Steve. Problem number two was that Steve was married. Now, I know for those of you who don't follow these things closely, especially sort of the internet atheist community, that sounds like a crazy thing for me to bring up. But you have to understand the role women play in YouTube atheism has been and still is today almost exclusively women who don't need feminism. Though later secular feminists would come along, the women with atheist channels, especially at this time, were starkly part of a subsection of YouTube dedicated to proving to young men that there were women who agreed with them about feminism, about the wage gap, about rape culture, and Steve's wife was not that. She appeared, as far as I know, in one video with Steve to talk about Joss Whedon. I've watched the video, and honestly, I encourage you to do the same because from the reputation both the video and Steve's wife received, and still has today, you'd expect her views to be extreme when in fact, they're anything but. They sit on a couch and talk about movies. She scolds him jokingly. The way my wife scolds him, he laughs along the way I do. But the reaction was insane. The internet exploded, got mean in a way it has rarely done before or since. She was doxxed repeatedly, thanks largely to a movement on the website 4chan. She was sent death threats, rape threats, people tried to get her fired, she was photoshopped into porn, and Steve being cucked by his wife was the running joke picked up by everyone who disagreed with him. A joke that continues today. And this, this harassment led to the final reason people don't like Steve and the absurd reason that if you ask a random person harassing him on Twitter today that they'll give about why they don't like him. See, Steve had had enough faced with the abuse towards his wife and himself. Steve used a very early version of a block bot, a bot he still uses to my knowledge, and his abusers and everyone who followed them was blocked on Twitter. You cannot imagine the extent to which this enrages people. They started a hashtag blocked by Steve Shives and purposefully create multiple accounts to harass him in an attempt to get blocked. To this day, if Steve and I tweet back and forth, someone will inevitably tweet us, block me in an attempt to harass him, to bother him as a joke. 
And this, to me, gets to the heart of what Steve represents that drives people crazy, why he became Internet Atheism's Nickelback. Steve hasn't said or done anything. I haven't said or done. I've, I've said before on this blog that if I ever face the level of harassment that Steve does, it's entirely possible I'll employ a block bot and stop being willing to have the conversations with the people that I do. The statements Steve has made that are so controversial for people to look the other way at the abuse he receives or, in the worst cases, applaud it aren't any worse than what I've said, and they're fathoms better than anything our current president has expressed, even among the so-called YouTube skeptics. But they don't make takedown videos of Trump. They don't dox Republican lawmakers, friends, and family. I don't want them to. But they don't. They do it to Steve because it's not about what he says. It's not about the blocking. It's about what he says and what the blocking represents. Ian Danskin, in his brilliant, brilliant series, and I know I've recommended it a million times, uh, Why Are You So Angry?, talks about Gamergate and how Gamergate, like all conspiracy theories, is a bit like a plank of wood sitting on the floor that they insist is a table. No matter how many times you break down people's accusations against Steve that show them that the table has no legs, no ridges, no carving, no wax, no shine, they will insist to you over and over again that it's a table. So what is it really? What is it if it's not the table? I think Steve represents a new movement, a new movement within new atheism to stop debating answered questions. And here's the problem. Atheism as a movement, as an ideology, requires debating an answered question. A question that's been answered well and extensively for hundreds of years, if not longer. So to ask a community based on that ideology of asking the same question over and over to abandon it is, if you'll pardon the pun, heresy. Beneath the cries of echo chamber and avoiding his critics is the belief among many new atheists that they're not just entitled to their opinion, they're entitled to acknowledgement of their opinion, to engagement, that free speech is not the freedom to speak, but the freedom to be heard. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, I've told a cursory version of this story. The first draft of this blog was almost 20 pages, and it was because I felt the need to break down so many legs of the table that is the conspiracy against Steve Shives. And I have a feeling that this topic, the topic of new atheism and anti-feminism and social justice and what the fuck happened to the movement is one that I'll try to explore more in the future, but rather than get dragged into the details, I, I wanted to try to end this blog with a story of hope. See, Steve has been through a lot, and about two years ago, for those of us that followed along, it really looked like his channel might shut down, that he might join the legion of other atheists bullied out of the movement for breaking party lines, but luckily, that isn't what happened. Humanism, this social justice, intersectionality, whatever it's called, continues to grow, and with it, the ranks of YouTube have filled with social justice advocates, people with the largest platforms, like the Vlog Brothers and Francesca Ramsey over at MTV's Decoded, have started to talk 
about issues like the wage gap and Black Lives Matter, but smaller channels like ContraPoints, H Bomber Guy, Cat Black, and Christy Winners have come to represent a younger generation of secular YouTube viewers coming to the platform looking for leadership and, like it or not, as pariah Steve inherited that role. Uh, someone made a political cartoon a few months ago, and it really stuck with me, not just because it was particularly nasty, but because it showed the anti-feminists all laughing at the so-called SJWs, and at their fore was Steve pointing ahead with a no-Nazi pin on his stereotypical baseball cap, saying, ban all their channels. And it struck me that that is how he's viewed even by those who hate him as a leader. Just over a year ago at Reason Rally, I got to meet Steve for the first time. I sort of ran up on him, and looking like me, I'm pretty sure he was worried I was going to call him a cuck. Uh, but we had a nice chat, and later that night I saw him confronted by someone who looked just like me for ruining the internet, who he was very polite to, despite the fact that the young man did eventually call him names and stomp away. But last week... I was at the Inciting Incident's 100th episode, and I got to watch him get swarmed by fans. Steve is reasonably wary of people. He'll be horrified by these last couple paragraphs. When I asked him permission to write this blog, he answered yes in the way you tell someone they can bring their homemade beer to the potluck because you know they're going to anyways and they mean well. But like it or not, Steve is the one who stepped up first, and that, despite what his abusers and detractors may wish upon him, will be his legacy, and it becomes more and more obvious that theirs will be of abuse, of harassment, of darkness. And Steve? Steve will have done what was hard first, and that, I hope, will last longer than the takedown videos. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening. I'm sorry this one is technically a week late, but I knew that we were going to skip a Skeptocrat, and I promised you a vlog on the off weeks of the Skeptocrat, and I like to keep my promises. Also, I want to give a special thanks again to Ian Danskin over at Innuendo Studios for really inspiring this vlog. His video, This is Phil Fish, is where that Nickelback metaphor comes from, so check out his work, send him love, patron him. He makes incredible thoughtful video essays. I know I've mentioned him a million times, but his series, Why Are You So Angry, is the best thing on YouTube. Hands down, it explains so much. And also, obviously, check out Steve Shives' stuff on YouTube and Patreon. He needs some love, and it's easy to forget that good guys deserve support as much as bad guys deserve hate mail. So get to it. Finally, if you haven't gotten a chance to check out my conversation about art, with Thomas Smith that's already available to my higher level patrons. Um, it's incredible. I'm incredibly proud of it. I'm trying to lock down my next long form interview with someone. Uh, I'm super excited about this. And as soon as I get that out, I will let everyone know. And if you're already a patron of any level, stay tuned after the break for a special patron only essay, Father's Day. Father's Day.